You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against this anointed, his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is the word of the Lord. All right, it's been said before that when God intends great mercy for his people, the first thing he does is set them a prank. When God intends a great mercy, to give a great mercy to his people, the first thing he does is set his people to praying. Jonathan Edwards, who God used powerfully in the time of the Great Awakening in the early to mid-1700s, he noted that in times of renewal, in times of revival, they were preceded by what he described as times of extraordinary prayer. God preceded these times of extraordinary revival and renewal by times of extraordinary prayer. For instance, the revival that occurred in Korea in the early 20th century, it was estimated that in the year 1900, that about 1% of Koreans were Christian. And so missionaries were present there on the ground, proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ, but facing a ton of challenges, not making many conversions and making disciples. And so leaders got the idea, let's get together and let's pray. Who would have thought? 
And so let's pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit for times of revival and repentance. I think there should be a picture here in just a second. History tells us that a group of of leaders got together on a January Saturday night in 1907 and began to pray all together out loud and pray for God to move. And history tells us that soon after the signs of awakening began to appear. One church historian records that in just one year, After this prayer meeting, 1907, that 50,000 men and women were converted as a result of what God did in this prayer meeting in Pyongyang. And it continued to grow. As I mentioned, it was estimated that 1% of Koreans were were Christians uh, in 1900. Today, almost one-third of South Korea is Christian. There are more Christians in South Korea than there are Buddhists. In fact, South Korea is now the number five most missionary-sending country in the entire world. Last time I checked, South Korea per capita sends more missionaries than we do. On the other side of the globe, between 1904 and 1905, a group of Welsh, young Welsh Christians gathered for a Sunday night prayer meeting. Evan Roberts was their young leader. He was in his 20s at the time, and he gathered for this prayer meeting with other young people. And one night, and he recorded this, it went from seat to seat, boys and girls, young men and maidens, some asking in silence, some aloud, some coldly, some with warmth, some formally, some in tears, some with difficulty, some with strong voices, some with tender voices. And he said the room began to fill with this tangible awareness of the presence of God, of the spirit of God with them. And Roberts uh, famously prayed this. He said, send the Holy Spirit now for Jesus Christ's sake. And he continued to pray that send the spirit for Christ's sake, for Christ's sake, send the Holy Spirit. And God answered those prayers. In less than one year, 100,000 people confessed Christ in the time of the Welsh revival. During that same time, a woman named Pandita Ramabai began to pray uh, together in a prayer meeting with young women and praying for revival to, to, be, to break out in her village, uh, Muktai, in India. And they gathered regularly to pray. And as a result of their prayer, thousands of converts were made in a small village. And things began to spread into Scandinavia, into East Africa, into Los Angeles, up into Canada, of all places. And God continued to move throughout the globe in in this time of extraordinary prayer. I'll say it again. When God intends a great mercy for his people, the first thing he does is gets his people, he gets his people praying. He stirs his people for prayer. We're continuing in our series titled Belong, discussing what it looks like to truly belong in a deeply divided and deeply broken and hurt world. Today, we're looking at the topic of prayer. Now, in the past, we've talked at length about prayer. We, we've, we've walked through the Lord's Prayer. We've had one-off uh, ser- sermons and services about prayer, but mostly it's been specifically about individual prayer. But today what we're doing is we're discussing the importance, how vital corporate prayers, praying together. Our belonging depends on us being a people that prays together. Amen? Let, let me say the negative side of that. You will forever fail to experience meaningful connections with a church that you do not pray for and pray with. Belonging, having meaningful connections to the body of Christ depends on us praying for the church and with the church. 
And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. As we look at both of these accounts and acts, it's very clear that prayer is a regular rhythm of this community. Prayer was, was, was just this deep uh, value of, of this people. We look at Acts on the day of Pentecost as the Spirit of God is poured out on the church. What are they doing? They're praying. Good. Acts 2, it says, later on in Acts 2, it says that they've devoted themselves to prayer. Acts 4, we see that they gather together and they pray. As we step back and we look at the grand sweep of Acts, Acts talks about prayer no less than 20 times. And almost every single time, it's in reference to corporate prayer. The church praying together. And so we're looking at these two passages. What I need to do real real quickly, is bridge the gap between Acts 2 and Acts 4. What we see in Acts 2 is that the church devoted themselves to God and to each other. There was this regular rhythm of meeting weekly and even daily, gathering at the temple, gathering in homes for breaking bread and uh, partaking of the Lord's Supper. And it tells us in Acts 3 that Peter and John, the apostles, were on their way to one of these gatherings. And as they're on their way to Solomon's portico, they pass a, a man that's crippled and poor. And so this man is asking for alms. And, and there's this famous passage where, where Peter turns and he says, silver and gold, I do not have, but what I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. And this man is healed. This, this dude's just healed at that point. And so people are looking at this and they begin to wonder what is going on. And there's this group, this group that gathers around Peter and John and this healed man. And so Peter sees this opportunity for the gospel. He gathers these onlookers and he begins to tell them about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he calls them, he says, repent of your sin. Repent of your sin for forgiveness of your sin uh, and times of refreshment will come for all those who turn to the risen Christ. Fast forward to Acts 4, it says this in the first three verses, and as they were speaking to the people, so he's proclaiming the gospel, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So these church leaders are hearing Peter proclaiming the gospel and they're bothered by it. They're disturbed. Simply they're annoyed. And so they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. So these leaders arrest Peter and John, but they find the moment that they arrest them that they're now in a predicament. Because what are they? How are they going to justify arresting these men? There, there's there's this crippled man now healed, standing before them. The proof and the evidence is right before their eyes. How are they going to justify this to the people? They're being arrested for like healing this guy. And so they're in this predicament. They don't know what to do. And so they bring them before these leaders and they say, we're going to let you go as if they're doing them a favor. And they say, we're going to let you go. But here's the one condition. You need to stop talking about Jesus. And a lot of Peter's like, "Mm, no, (laughs) I serve God. Which brings us to our passage here in Acts 4, verses 23 and 24. When they were released... They went to their friends and reported that the, what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they, the church, heard it, they lifted up their voices together in God. The moment they heard what had happened, they lift up their voices to God, which leads us to our first point. Prayer is an initial response, not a last resort. Can I say that again? Prayer is an initial response, not a last resort. 
Think about of all the ways that they could have responded to this predicament. Whether their natural inclination was fight or flight. But notice, they didn't pack their bags. Notice, they didn't plot their payback. Notice, they didn't pour themselves a strong drink. No, notice notice their, their initial reaction to this. They pray. And they pray immediately. See, at times for many of us, if we were to be honest, prayer is treated sort of like a last resort. We, we find ourselves in a pinch. We find that the, the cards are stacked against us. So we get frantic and we get anxious and we get fearful and we try to fix things and we try to take control of our lives and we try to take control of the lives of the people around us or we give up or we run. We do a lot of things. But if we were to be honest, prayer is sometimes the last thing that we think to do. Prayer is often treated as a last resort. But when prayer is treated like a last resort, what it serves is to expose some things about our hearts. When prayer is a last resort, it exposes who we really truly believe God is. And when prayer is a last resort, it really exposes how involved we really think God intends to be in our lives. But we see prayer is this initial response. Because prayer is intended by God to be a natural reflex for the Christian and a natural reflex in the life of the Christian church. As, as natural as it is, I've already heard a lot of babies this morning, as natural as it is for a baby to cry for its mother, God intends for his children to cry out to their father. As instinctual and natural it is for a baby to cry out for help, help me. I'm hungry, I'm dirty, I'm lonely, whatever the case may be, how natural it is for a child to cry. God intends for his children to have that same instinct to cry out to our father. Amen? So we see this modeled for us in, in the Psalms. We see this modeled for us actually frequently in the Psalms. In Psalm 109, we get to eavesdrop on, on one of these occurrences. Psalm 109, verses 1 through 4. The psalmist prays, be not silent, O God of my praise. For wicked and deceitful mouths are opened against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They, they encircle me with words of hate. Then they attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me. But I give myself to prayer. So what the psalmist is saying is, here's, here's the situation that I'm, I'm circled. I'm surrounded. These things are against me. I have no way out. I have no escape. I cannot fix my situation. But I dedicate myself to prayer. This is my safety. This is my refuge. This is my response of faith. I cannot fix my circumstance. So I turn to you. So I turn to you. And this is to be the response of every believer in every believing church. But the question for us this morning is how? How do we, how do, how do we make this instinctual? How do we make this natural in our lives? Because if we were to be honest, prayer doesn't feel very natural sometimes. Can we be honest together this morning? Okay. Prayer doesn't always feel natural. So how does it become instinct for us? I think the answer is found really in the combination of these two passages. And this is really the heart behind 
choosing these two passages in Acts for this teaching this morning. And here it is. The pattern of prayer in peacetime made prayer natural when the pressure was turned up. Let me say that again. That pattern of prayer that we see in peacetime in Acts chapter 2 made prayer natural when the pressure was turned up in Acts chapter 4. That rhythm had been built into the church. How, 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 did the in, how did that instinct to go immediately gather with their friends, immediately gather with their friends and to pray, where did that come from? And I believe it's the Spirit of God used the discipline and the dedication of, of this church, dedicating themselves to, to corporate prayer in a way that made this instinct deep within the souls of this community. It was natural because this grace-filled habit of praying together made it natural. It made it natural. And so the question for you this morning is, are you not naturally a strong prayer? Is prayer not natural for you? Well, good news, you are not alone. But that means that you need to be participating in corporate prayer all the more. See, the temptation for us is to believe that I will, I'll invest myself and I'll participate in corporate prayer once I'm a strong prayer warrior. How do you think strength and power and prayer is formed? It's through prayer. It's through praying. It's through praying even when we're not good at it. I, I can speak only for myself. I am not a great corporate prayer. I'm not a good prayer in general. But it's through the pattern of gathering in faith and praying that God builds our faith and God builds our prayer and God builds our courage and boldness in prayer. Don't wait for that day to come. Pray until that day comes. Amen? We pray that day into our lives. Second thing we see is this. Prayer hinges on the attributes of God. Prayer hinges on the attributes of God. Listen to how these disciples begin their prayer. Verse 24. Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Now this is interesting. Before they begin to ask God for things, before they're asking God anything, what are they doing? They are acknowledging who he is is. This is key. Charles Spurgeon once described prayer as fellowship with God's greatness. When we pray individually, when we pray corporately, we are fellowshipping with the very greatness of God. And we can't forget that. And this is what these disciples are doing. They're fellowshipping with the, with the greatness of God. They are recognizing that God isn't just some genie in the bottle. God isn't just some quick fix for our problems. God is the sovereign Lord who created and sustains all things, who is and will always be worthy of praise. Before they dive into their laundry list of things, they are acknowledging God. They're acknowledging that he's the sovereign Lord. He's the one that holds all things together. He is the Lord over all of history and all of creation and the entire cosmos. This is who we are coming to right now. There's a motto that has been helpful in my life for helping form my prayers and help align my heart to God in prayer. It's very simple, and it's this. 
Praise precedes petition. Praise precedes petition. What that means is praise first, then we ask. Praise God, and then we dive into what we are asking of him. When I'm tempted, which is often, to jump right into the things that I want God to do for me, I need to pause and remember who I'm acknowledging. I need to pause and remember that I am standing in the presence of a holy God. That I need to remove my sandals because I'm on holy ground. This is the God of history. This is the God of the universe. This is the God of our redemption and the God of our restoration. He is not a genie in a bottle. He's the sovereign Lord. And praise aligns our heart in that way. As you guys heard in our announcements this morning, uh, we're giving this book away. And in John Onwachekwa's book, Prayer, he writes this. In our prayers of praise, we want to remember what God is like, not just what he's done for us. In other words, the purpose behind praise and beginning our prayer with praise is we're reminding ourselves who we're talking to. Reminding ourselves of who God is before this just someone that does things for us at our beck and call. And so as we begin our prayers with praise, there's a twofold effect here. First, God receives praise, which is pretty amazing, and that's what we've been called to. We exist to glorify God, and so we're stepping in and aligning our lives with what we've been created for. But the second effect is this. We are reminded of who we're talking to. Because there's, there's a world of a difference uh, between coming to someone who simply fixes our problems and coming into the presence of the sovereign Lord of all creation. Last year, do you guys remember uh, our Beholding God series? Okay, we spent six months of last year, that's dedication, uh, to, to walking through one by one the, the various attributes of God, looking at his holiness, Looking at his immutability, looking at his sovereignty, his eternality, his self-sufficiency, goodness, wisdom, presence, might, majesty, worth, faithfulness, generosity, love, jealousy, justice, wrath, and compassion of God. And one of the hopes was that through this time, that it would really transform the way that we view God and the way that we interact with him. A.W. Tozer said, the most important thing about you is what comes to mind when you think about God. And the hope is really that it would shape our prayers, empower and embolden our prayers as we're reminded of who we are coming into the presence of when we pray. And I would be willing to, to bet that if you were to root your prayer, every time you pray, to root your prayer in the various attributes of God, that you, if you began your prayer with praise, I'd be willing to bet that it would completely change your prayer life. That it would, one, it would change the, the, the fervency of your prayer. That it would, it would give a certain sense of boldness and passion as you are reminded that this is not just some puny God. This is a great God. This isn't a God that's like me. This is an eternal God. This is a God that has a heart of compassion a billion times more than I have. And on and on and on. It would give us a certain sense of passion and fervency in our prayer. Secondly, it would give us a higher frequency of our prayer. Think of how often we would want to come back and, and fellowship with the greatness of God if we re really recognize who we are in the presence of. For some of us, our view of God is just one-dimensional. 
He's simply a God of love, or he's simply a God of this, or he's simply a God who does this. And because God in our minds is one-dimensional, it gets boring coming to him. And so we need the, the, we need the attributes of God filling our hearts and increasing the frequency of our prayers. You guys with me? Okay. No nodding off today. <laughs> and third, it gives our prayer power. What, what gives our prayer power? This is a question that we need to think of. Because for some of us, powerful prayer means that we're praying loud. Or for some of us, powerful, powerful prayer is, is eloquent prayer. Or for some of us, powerful prayer is like repetitious prayer. Or, or something attached to some sort of maybe per, perhaps some charismatic expression. That's powerful prayer. My prayer is weak. That's powerful prayer. So the question we really need to settle today is what gives our prayer power? And I can assure you it is not the, the, the uh, loudness of your prayer. It's not the eloquence of your prayer. And it's not even the frequency of your prayer or the amount of words that you, you stack into the, the, the amount of big Christianese words that you stack into your prayer. Where does our prayer get power? power? Our prayer receives its power from God. Our faith receives its power from God. Our hope receives its power from God. And so when we attach our prayer to the praises of God, when we attach our prayer to the attributes of God, that's when our prayer receives its power. And so we see clearly this church has rooted their prayer in the attributes of God. The third thing we see is that prayer is rooted in Scripture. Look at me in verses 25 and 26. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers who gathered together against the, whole, uh, the Lord and against his anointed. So what is going on here? What are they saying? Why is it in quotations? What are they quoting here? What these disciples and apostles are doing is they are grounding their prayer in the ancient scriptures. In fact, they're quoting directly from Psalm 2. Maybe they had their Bibles. Maybe they're just going from memory. But what they've done is they've taken the, the words of scripture and now allowed it to direct and steer their prayers. And they're quoting this passage that talks about the victory of God and the victory of his anointed one over the plots of the raging nations. And what they're doing is they're rightly determining that this prophecy was fulfilled by Jesus Christ himself. And what it does is when they turn this, this, this passage into their prayer, what the church is doing is they are, they are rooting their lives and they're rooting their circumstance in the ongoing and unfolding drama of God's redemption. In other words, they're acknowledging that God's not just sovereign over history in general, but God is sovereign over this. God is sovereign over our moment. We've seen what God has done in the past, and we're believing what God will do in our time as well. I, I want to say this as simply as I can. Prayer is just going to be all the more meaningful and lively when it's informed by Scripture. Your prayer is just... <laughs> going to be better. <laughs> Let me just say it as simple as I can. Better prayer comes from allowing our prayer to be informed by Scripture. I've said this before, 
But I'm going to say it again. Plagiarize the scriptures. <laughs> plagiarize the scriptures. You've been taught from a very early age to not plagiarize. I'm going to undermine that all completely and say plagiarize the scriptures. In fact, I would go as far as to say, if you are not plagiarizing the scriptures in your prayer, there's a very good chance you're doing it wrong. Uh, Eugene Peterson, who actually just passed about a week and a half ago, he once said this, the reason why our prayers so often fall flat and come out stale is because they've been uprooted from the soil of the word of God. Maybe you can associate with this. Maybe you're like, my prayer life sucks. I don't know what to pray. I don't know how to pray. I don't know when to pray. It's because it's been removed from the soil of God's word. And so here's the invitation today. It's very simple. Plant it back in the soil of God's word. Pray God's word. Here's a simple instruction. Begin in the Psalms. We see it in our passage today. If the disciples aren't too good for it, you're not too good for it. Pray the Psalms. Incorporate those into your prayers. And what we need to remember is that what God has spoken to us in the Bible is always going to be greater than what we could simply say to him on our own in prayer. Are we so prideful and so bold as to think that our words will be more powerful and potent from the very inspired word of God? But sometimes we give, to, we give in to that temptation of pride. We think, well, I need, I, need, I need for it to be original. I need for it to be spontaneous, for it to mean something. Feel that burden lifting off to you today. Feel that burden to need to be spontaneous and to be genuine and to be authentic, lifted off of you today. Like I mentioned, if the apostles are not too good for it, neither are you. Neither are you. Amen? They've rooted their, word, their prayer in the word of God. Fourth, we see prayer acknowledges the present struggle. Verses 27 through 28, I believe, uh, through 29. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon these threats. Look upon their threats. So as we're looking at this prayer, as we're studying this prayer, there's a, a couple things to note. This is, uh, there, there's some really important elements. Not only have they rooted their prayer in the scriptures, but they've also rooted their prayer in their present reality. They haven't, they're in trouble. There is struggle going on around them, but they haven't buried their head in the sand like some of us are tempted to do. They're not ignoring what is going on around them. They're not ignoring the struggles. They're naming the threats. They're calling it out. They're, they're naming it, acknowledging their enemies. Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, and the Jews. By name, they are naming them out in prayer. And they're letting these things now fill their prayer with passion. Karl Barth once said, take your Bible in one hand and your newspaper in the other. And this is what we see almost, almost seeing occurring here. They, as they're praying, they've got their Bible in one hand, Psalms 2, and their current events in the other. 
They have not buried their head in the sand. They are not the church that refuses to acknowledge what's going on in the world around them. They're bringing both of these things to God, praying the word and praying their current events. See, to experience meaningful prayer means we have to acknowledge present struggle of our lives. We need to be a church that acknowledges the present struggles of our community. We need to be a church that that acknowledges the present struggles of our nation. Amen? We need to be a church that acknowledges the present struggles of our world, call it out, call it by name, say exactly what's going on, and bring those things before the Lord. Why? Because prayer lacks power when it's disconnected from reality. You look at all the remarkable prayers that we see in Scripture. Those are not abstract. They were rooted in historic events. They were rooted in historic events, things that were occurring, things that were actually happening. And that's how we have these prayers preserved for us today. Prayer is never abstract. Maybe you've been to a prayer meeting, and some of you can acknowledge, uh, recognize this. You've been to a prayer meeting, and it's just painful. It's just, it's just dead. And sometimes that's because uh, the church is refusing to be honest. You ever, you ever been to a prayer meeting where just everyone just keeps it painfully surface level? We end up praying for like second aunt's sister Edna's like ingrown toenail. And that, that's like the highlight of our prayer meeting. Prayer loses its power when it's removed from the difficult things that we're facing in this life. It's weak when we refuse to to acknowledge the brokenness and sometimes the horror of living in a sinful and a broken world. John Anwachekwa, in his book, he he tells the story of a friend of his who went to a church that refused to pray through specific issues that were occurring in the nation a couple years back because they were afraid that it was going to be political and divisive. And I can associate with this. I I know some of these pressures. I know some of the feedback that happens when you bring things to the surface. And so what this church decided to do is just kind of refuse to acknowledge things that were going on and refuse to pray through these things. And this woman, this friend of John's, she shares that when Michael Brown and Trayvon Martin and Alton Sterling and Eric Gardner and more lost their lives unjustly, the, the church refused to pray. The church was afraid to talk about these things because they were afraid it was going to be too political or it was going to be too divisive. And what he says is his friend was not asking for the church to go march in Washington. And and this friend was not asking for the church to make political statements. This friend was simply asking that the church would pray. Would just pray. See, our fear is if we pray through these things, it will be divisive. What the scriptures show us is actually the opposite curse. When we pray things through things that we are normally divided on, there's a unity that, is, that occurs through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're afraid of dividing. What God intends is to unite. And what, hap- what happens is when we do this, when we're afraid to pray through things, when we're afraid to bring things up, it forfeits the opportunity, one, of seeing answered prayer. You don't pray, you don't get to see the answer prayer. And what it does is it, is it puts unfair burdens on believers. There are countless Christians, anxious Christians, walking around inundated with the horrific news that's coming at us on a daily basis 
locally in our nation and around the world, now lacking the outlet to do something about it. And every time we tune in, every time we scroll, every time we, we, we see something else, it's just one more thing and one more thing and one more thing. It's being stacked on our backs. We, we are, we're quite literally carrying the weight of the world upon our shoulders because we've chosen not to, or maybe the decision has been made for us to not connect these things and these hurts and these angst and these fears and this anxiety to the one place it should be in corporate prayer. We've cut ourselves off. We've not allowed ourselves to bring these burdens that we're all carrying right now. Tuesday's at a really important election. We are walking in here, whether we know it or not, with burdens and fear and anxiety. And we need the freedom to be able to bring these things before the Lord in prayer. Notice these disciples. They named the city. Notice these disciples. They named the people involved. Herod, Pontius, our president, our mayor, this governor, this congressman, this congresswoman. They named them. They named the threats that they're facing. They're saying, this is what we're facing right now. We are never going to be a church that is too afraid to actually talk about these things and then pray about these things. We're going to refuse to allow these, these things, these differences to divide us. We are going to choose rather in prayer to allow God to unify our hearts. Amen? Amen. Here it's also worth noting that they're not, it's, it's not seen here in this, in this specific portion in Acts 4. But as we see in scripture, the, the people of God not only are acknowledging people that acknowledge the threats out there, but the people of God are those who are humble enough to acknowledge the threats within. So we as God's people have to be humble enough to, to recognize it's not that crazy, mad, out of control world out there and us in our little enclave. I believe it was John Owen who said that anger is murder in seed form. So when we, when we tune in and we see these tragic events in the world and we begin to think like the enemy's out there and safety's in here, what we need to remember is that we have the seed of murder within us too. Bitterness, anger, unforgiveness. But by the grace of God, so goes us. The only reason we're not on the news is because God in his grace and his mercy has kept that murder in seed form at bay. Amen? Amen. And so the, the church recognizes the threats out there, but also in humility and confession and asking God for his mercy and for him to begin the, the process of healing, it begins in here. Lastly, prayer produces boldness. I love this, this part about the prayer. They don't ask for protection. They are not asking to be protected. They don't ask for vengeance. They don't ask even for comfort. They don't ask that God would remove them from this situation. What are they asking? They are asking that God would allow them to be faithful within it. Help us just be faithful within this moment. Verses 29 through 30. Grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus Christ. So we see a church that made prayer priority. We see a church that focused on the attributes of God, that rooted their prayer in the Holy Scriptures, that now take their struggle to God in prayer. And now when it matters most, when the pressure is up, they are gospel-centered and they are other-centered. We don't see a single hint of selfishness here. We don't see a single hint of save our hides, Keep us comfortable. 
Let us, we got a good thing going here. It was help us to be faithful. They're asking simply for courage to speak God's word and that God would extend his hand and continue to heal. Gospel-centered and other-centered. Make us courageous and keep transforming people's lives. And what happens as a result? Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Clearly, as we look at this, clearly, these are the kinds of prayers that God intends to bless. These are the kinds of prayers that God intends to pour his Holy Spirit upon. They're not praying that the Spirit would be poured out on them. They're not praying these other prayers. It's, Lord, help us to be faithful. And he pours his Spirit upon his people. So the question for us today is, how does prayer make us bold? How is the regular rhythm of praying together make us bold like this early church that we see here? It's because in prayer, we meet with the earth-shaking presence of God. It's easy to almost pass over this because there's a lot going on in this passage. They pray, God's spirit pours out on them. The place shakes. I don't know if you can imagine that, okay? We, uh, when we were developing this building, we had to go through seismic retrofits and check the seismic of this building. And that is the major reason why we couldn't gather upstairs, okay? So we've thought a lot about this. But could you imagine God's spirit being poured out on us and the building shaking, just shaking? I'm like in the worst spot for the building shaking, this big piece of concrete. So wait just a little bit, God, until I'm off the stage. So, but think, think, about, think about what's going on here. We, we read over it, and, and it's almost like we gloss over it, but the building shakes. And here's the thing. When God shows up, things shake. When God shows up to Israel on Mount Sinai, the mountain shakes. When God draws near in judgment as Christ is upon the cross, uh, bearing the judgment and, and condemnation of our sin, uh, Matthew says that the earth shook and the rocks split. We see later on in Matthew when the Spirit of God shows up to Jesus' tomb in resurrection power, the earth quaked. And here again in Acts, the place is shaken. When God shows up, things shake. And so the question is, <laughs> what does this have to do with boldness? How, how does this make us bold? And here I, think, here I think is the connection for us. When we experience the earth-shaking presence of God through his spirit, when we experience the earth-shaking presence with God in prayer, then nothing thrown our way will be able to shake us. That, that verse keeps resonating in my heart. Awe came upon every soul. What that word means is terror, fright. This was a community that was filled with the fear of the Lord. And I think this is key. What causes us to be a courageous and bold church is we need to fear God more than people. We need to fear God more than what the world can do to us. We need to fear God even more than what Satan can do in our lives. They were filled with awe. And when it mattered most, they were bold. They were bold. So the deeper you've been shook by the spirit, the less you'll be shook by life. The less you'll be shook by life. This time, what I want to do is I want to transition. Uh, we've been doing Q&A every single week and, and inviting uh, men and women to come and, and to share 
from their lives, their experience, and their perspective on the specific topics that we're looking at. And so at this time, what I'd like to do is I'd like to invite the Turners forward as I interview them on the topic of prayer. Would you guys give them a hand? Shaking. <laughs> the spirit's in his life right now. Okay, so tell us a little bit about yourselves and your heart for prayer in this church. Well, I'd have to go back to... Pull this close to your faces again. I would have to go back to an experience. Just right there. Okay. I would have to go back to an experience of prior to being here uh, when Sylvia and I were at St. John's where they do the liturgy which was completely foreign to me, uh, you know, a lot to learn. You stand at a certain time, you kneel, you say certain prayers. And then um, one day after, after church, I was having a conversation with Father Dan, and he was telling me about his vestments, which can be very elaborate. And he was telling me, he goes, um, you know, I put on each piece with a particular prayer. And at the time, I didn't think much of it. I thought, oh, that's nice, I guess, you know. And, but I researched that. And I read an article on it. And those are big gun prayers. Those, that's the big league. And um, some of the things that I walked away with from that, that particular article was, as he's doing that, he's putting off the profane and he's putting on the sacred. Uh, and he's doing it for three things. He's doing it for service, for worship, and to do battle. He's fulfilling uh, Ephesians chapter 6. And, and when I come here for pre-service prayer, that's what I want to do. I want to put off the profane. I want to put on the sacred so I can serve, worship, and do battle. That's great. That's great. Sylvia, uh, multiple people have told me uh, about this prayer journal uh, that you bring to community group and you brought to community group over the last few years. I've never actually seen it in person. Is that it? Okay. Um, it's just the myth. Um, but can you tell us a little bit about that, how that works, what, what that's meant for you, for the community group, people's lives? Sure. So here it is. Um, it's got about five years worth of prayer requests and lists in it and I'm the quintessential wandering mind when I pray so I'm kind of like little sweet baby sage when I read her book after about page one she's like rabbit somewhere else and you know God loves us like children and I do have a wandering mind so I need a list <laughs> and I just look at the list um, and pray through it and when my mind wanders I just pull myself back to the list and as the prayers were answered through the years I would date it and say what happened and um, in our community group we can look back and say we prayed for um, for example this girl named Brooke um, Sorry. When she was about 15, she had an extremely rare form of cancer, and the Sheltons um, had us all praying for her, and she's in my book, and, and we prayed for about six months, I would say, and only God has this, this um, plan, but about a year, maybe a little more than a year later, 
Brooke's mother was hired at the college and after a few months talking, chit-chatting, and she's talking about her daughter named Brooke, um, Katie and I both said, wait a minute, we prayed for another girl named Brooke who had a rare form of cancer and we've been praying for her daughter for over a year and we didn't even know her and what what that meant for um, our immediate connection and our ability to pray with the mom there's just no doubt that this is this is important. And this week when you'd asked us to do this, I looked back through um, numerous times where God has performed wonders and healings and um, it, it was only in his hand yeah. that it happened. So Sharon Lynn. Yeah. Um, in conclusion, how would you urge the church today in regards to prayer? This is like your shot to charge the church, to land the plane, to take my scrambled brain and like speak to your brothers and sisters and urge them regarding prayer. Well, you're right about as far as turning back, looking back through history, how the great revivals have started. And, and it's been prayer. It might have been one or two. It might have been ten. But yes, people getting together and praying and, and putting on that full armor of God, you know, Ephesians 6, yeah. and it's done with prayer. And I would also add to that, um, you know, Jesus prayed. He could have done anything, but he prayed. So sometimes it's God's will to work through a prayer. And I don't want to be the reason that, you know, he, his will was put off for some reason. He's so much bigger than my silly prayers, but I want to be faithful and obedient and pray. So do it. <laughs> <laughs>